Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On our program tonight, as COVID cases continue to surge, there are lots of questions over the effectiveness of Canada's response on a day when new case records are set and the Atlantic bubble bursts. And on a day when another vaccine candidate reports promising results. Starting today, businesses get access to a new federal rent subsidy, but they're pushing back against lockdowns that threaten to close more of them for good. Finance Minister will deliver the economic update next Monday. Our panel of parliamentary reporters will discuss that and the debate over the great pandemic reset. And we'll begin tonight with the latest developments on COVID-19. The surge in cases continues across Canada. A new record high in daily cases in Ontario, 1,589, and 19 more deaths from the virus. As parts of the province enter a new lockdown phase, and as retired general and former chief of the defence staff Rick Hillier is named to lead the vaccine rollout in that province, Quebec is reporting another uh, 1,164 new cases and 13 more deaths. The rise in cases in Atlantic Canada has led to a dismantling of the Atlantic bubble. Manitoba has 543 new cases, a record daily high, and seven more deaths. And Alberta reported another 1,549 new cases today and five new deaths. Alberta expected to announce a new, uh, sorry, new measures on Thursday to help curb the spread. And in the House of Commons today, the federal government faced more questions about its COVID-19 response. Today we learned that over 5 million people have come into Canada and not isolated. If we had rapid testing, these people, many of whom are essential workers, could have been tested and cleared or tested, isolated and treated. But 11 months in, and rapid testing is uncommon in Canada, and at-home testing is non-existent. When will the Prime Minister step up, do his job and ensure that rapid at-home testing is available to Canadians? The Honourable Deputy Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, let me just inform Canadians and members of this House that six rapid tests have been authorized. BK Kit Virus Finder from Hyrus, BD Veritor System from Becton Dixon & Company, the Abbott ID Now, Abbott Panbio, Expert Express, Sophia Tussar's Antigen from Diagnostic Hybrids. By the end of the year, we expect delivery of 20.5 million Abbott Panbio antigen tests. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, let's bring in Dr. Lisa Barrett. She is an infectious diseases physician and researcher at Dalhousie University in Halifax. Dr. Barrett, first of all, thanks for taking time to speak with me. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. Look, let's start with the surge in cases across the country and what we're seeing here. How concerned are you about whether the measures being taken in sort of a piecemeal way across the country in various provinces and municipalities, uh, whether that'll be enough to get this surge back under control? To be honest, I'm a little conflicted about the difference between a federal response and provincial. We know with viruses and any kind of infectious disease outbreak, we need a very regional approach to respond when there are differences in different areas. For example, if there are zero cases in an area, the same response is not needed as in an area that has 1,500 cases a day. So I do think that the nuts and bolts of a very, very effective response 
both testing, tracing, and then the precautions that we need to take have to be very regional and appropriate to the outbreak. However, if there's not federal support to allow people to be able to do the public health things they need, and by that I mean financial support and an overarching direction to the premiers that's consistent, I think we do have a problem. So I think the federal response has been okay to date. I think uh, everyone in Canada would be also okay with it if they were a little more forceful. And then at the provincial level, in certain parts of the country, we really need to, uh, to have a more definitive approach and a more aggressive approach that's based on virus, not politics, and not economics. Well, some experts, uh, as you know, argue for a, another full short-term lockdown uh, to try and uh, flatten this curve quickly. Uh, everyone stays home, almost everything shuts down until the numbers are, are better controlled. Uh, what's your view? I think that in certain regions, that's absolutely necessary. If I were to look around my own province, we have parts of Nova Scotia, for example, despite our quarantine when people come in after travel, we have certain parts of our province that really, really are starting to see case numbers go up. And I would much rather see a short-term, early, definitive introduction of very, very limited socialization at this point than wait until the virus has gone further. Because really, not to talk biology on a politics show, but the biology of this virus is different. People are infectious when they don't have symptoms and they're out moving around. And that's why with 14 days of asymptomatic spread, we have a major problem if we wait until the cases go too high. We saw the Atlantic bubble burst today effectively with PEI and Newfoundland and Labrador uh, implementing restrictions for people traveling to their provinces now. Is, is that the right move, do you think? Yes. <laughs> if I were them, I'm a Newfoundlander. Uh, if I was sitting in Newfoundland right now or PEI, I think that's a great piece of leadership on their behalf. They're not saying they're not going to come back. They're not saying they're leaving the bubble forever, but they are being very, very strategic about controlling virus early so they don't have to use all of their healthcare resources in public health on tracking and tracing. Keep the numbers low, keep the controlled border. And I, I think that makes sense for two weeks given the rest of our Atlantic bubble at the moment. Lots of questions in the House of Commons again today about uh, testing and rapid testing and its availability in this country. The federal government has deployed more than 4 million rapid tests to the provinces, but many provinces and municipalities have been slow to use them. Uh, you were in the Halifax community, I know, Saturday night administering uh, rapid tests at Nova Scotia's first rapid test site. Still lots of questions though, about their reliability. So how should they be used and, and what can they tell us? Right, so this rapid test is not quite as sensitive. And by that, I mean at certain points in infection, you can miss uh, a positive with this antigen test. Um, but that's okay if you're asking the right question. And what I mean by that is probably not the time or place to be using this kind of test in people who have symptoms or are at high risk already, contacts of people or people that have been in an exposure site. However, if you want to get an idea of how much virus there is in the community around you, when this virus doesn't have a lot of symptoms, this is a perfect test. It's quick, it's fast, it's pretty easy to use and you get results in 10 minutes for people. And then you're not walking around making policy decisions blind to the actual number of cases in your community. Okay. Don't forget, all these colors that we see across the country are based on the number of cases per 100,000. 
and no one's testing asymptomatic people. So we don't know what the heck is going on. Right. So in your view, should the provinces be, you know, there seems to be delays in the provinces putting these tests to use. Is, uh, what do you think of that? I think there's a really, really good case to be made that in situations where people are out in public and they're, you know, for example, here in Nova Scotia, our bars and restaurants are still open with some restrictions, but they're open. So if you're going to have social COVID living type of situations, when virus levels go back down to a reasonable level, you're going to have to find some way of testing people until we get vaccines out and rolling. And these antigen tests, I think, would be a great adjunct, but only once these groups and, and places get their virus levels somewhat under control. Until then, I still think you can't test your way out of an uncontrolled pandemic. You've got to bring it under control first, then bring in the asymptomatic testing. We've got more good news on the vaccine front today with AstraZeneca announcing its vaccine is at least 70% effective. Canada has pre-ordered 20 million doses of that particular offering. And it has uh, this one has the added feature of not requiring the ultra cold storage requirements. So how significant is that feature of this vaccine? And uh, in, in terms of what this offers in, in terms of uh, deployment and use, uh, how is this, could this be a big game changer? Well, I think to your point, there's logistics and then there's how well something works. We need a number of vaccines to come to market at the same time. We know that all of these vaccines work in clinical trials, but we don't really know yet how well they're gonna work in the real world. So having multiple options is really important. And also it's important to have different types of vaccines. This one is a live virus, even though it's not, uh, it's not the COVID-19 virus, but there is live virus that delivers uh, the antigen into the vaccine. So what I mean by that is that it's not always appropriate for people with compromised immune systems. So some people won't be able to take this one, whereas with the other uh, Moderna and uh, other Pfizer vaccines, they probably would. So good to have multiple options. Great that it doesn't require a cold chain that requires us to buy very, very specialized freezers and have them made in time. So excellent to have multiple bits in the toolbox. Just quickly to finish up, how confident are you that the federal and provincial governments uh, will have in place appropriate, appropriate rather, vaccine rollout plans uh, when the time comes to distribute these vaccines? Well, I, I see a lot of promising activity and behavior. The Canadian Vaccine Task Force has really spent a lot of time thinking about the things we need nationally and making sure that the you know needles, swabs, et cetera, are all available to roll out to different spaces as we need it. We also, compared with some other countries, have a pretty good system of rolling out other vaccines across the country pretty quickly. For example, the flu vaccine, although it's managed at the provincial level, we do it pretty well. So I think in combination with that and the fact that many provinces are putting together special task force at forces and groups to roll it out, that's promising. Now we just need to make sure that we actually resource those task forces properly to let them do their work. All right, Dr. Lisa Barrett joining us from Halifax. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Businesses struggling to pay the rent started applying today to a new federal relief program. The new Canada Emergency Rent Subsidy will cover up to 65% of rent or commercial mortgage interest on a sliding scale based on revenue drops. There's an extra 25% in support available for the hardest hit businesses. As we mentioned earlier, it's expected more restrictions will be announced in Alberta, where the new case numbers have hit staggering levels. In Ontario, Toronto and neighboring Peel region, began new lockdowns today, including a ban on indoor dining at restaurants and the closure of hair salons and gyms. Even while big box stores that sell food can remain open. 
Today, the Ontario Premier defended the lockdown measures. It's tough to balance the, the health and the well-being of, of society, because that's the number one priority, and the economy. It's, it's, it's a challenge. But I'll tell you one thing, if we just ignore the health and just say, okay, let, let's open everything up, we, I, as sure as I'm standing here, we would be in a terrible, terrible shape, massive crisis on our hands. Dan Kelly is the president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. He joins me now. Uh, Mr. Kelly, good to see you again. Uh, you're pushing back against the, the new lockdown measures for non-essential retailers that took effect today in Toronto and Peel region. And we could see more of these in different parts of the country. Uh, and concerns that they advantage the big box stores. What are you asking of the Ontario government? You know, we're calling on them to rethink the, the strategy here. This, this isn't making any sense. It certainly doesn't pass a common sense test. We're basically closing down every little independent business in, in Toronto and in Peel and pushing all of those customers to go and line up at Costco and Walmart where they sell similar goods. I, I was at a, a lighting store on the weekend, uh, probably their last customer on Saturday afternoon, uh, and the, I was the only customer in the store, the business owner and one other staff person. She was in tears with me saying she has to close down 100% to in-store traffic and yet her customers on as of Monday can line up at the Home Depot to buy their light fixtures and question how is this fair and how does this even make sense from a COVID perspective? The so, independent bookseller can't sell a book, but you can go and line up at Costco and buy one in the big bin with 100 other people. So what, what do your members want as a fix? We're proposing that, that governments start with a small business first retail strategy. Allow the small guys a trickle of commerce. We get that this isn't business as usual and that we need to have uh, business restrictions in place, but allow us to serve three customers at a time with three staff people, a maximum of six people in a business, and, and, and encourage businesses to use appointment setting as much as they can for in-store commerce and curbside pickup and delivery wherever possible too. If, that, if the government were to do that, it would at least level the playing field a little bit Right now, we have the Bay wide open selling things on all their floors because they happen to have a small grocery department in the basement downtown. And yet the tiny little independent clothing store who told me that she sees uh, she sees the same number of customers in six months that a, that a busy Walmart would see in six hours. Yeah. They, you know, th we've got to make sure that there are better practices in place because it's not even making sense from a COVID health perspective. All right. You, you did get uh, some help has kicked in today, the new federal rent relief program. Uh, is this the program you wanted or does it still fall short on, on what's really needed to help business in this country? Look, it's a pretty good program. I will give a lot of credit to Christy Freeland. She she listened and she made some big changes to the failing program that Morneau had in place and refused to change. Uh, this program allows all businesses to participate regardless of their re their revenue losses. It allows uh, a, it doesn't require a landlord to participate, so you don't have to go through your landlord to get the subsidy. You're, it's now extended out until uh, June of 2021. Uh, and importantly for those businesses like in Toronto and Peel that are shut down a second time, there's an extra amount of money. You could get up to 90% of your rent covered uh, if you're su shut down for a, because of a public health measure. So it's a lot of support. What it doesn't do is it doesn't allow small firms who were shut down mm -hmm. from, from, May, uh, from April through to September to get any of the rent support program from the last round that they failed to get because of the design of, of Secret. This bill, uh, turns out this bill needs yet another fix uh, as well. It requires 
uh, right now businesses to uh, business to pay its rent first and then apply for the subsidy, although the finance minister announced today the government will not enforce that requirement and will again come back to Parliament to fix that part of the law. And in the meantime, the Canada Revenue Agency uh, says it'll pay out the money uh, without requiring yes. the rent to be prepaid. But I guess I'm wondering, uh, you know, how frustrated are you by the, by the fits and starts and, and in some cases false starts of this rent program over the past nine months? Well, look, it's not just the rent program. It's all of the government support programs. We have found, uh, you know, it's been Swiss cheese to try to fill some of the holes here. Uh, as we as we go forward, the wage subsidy program has a lot of flaws. Now, again, the the generosity of the wage subsidy, for example, was 75 percent in the spring. Now, if you have a 30 percent revenue loss, you get a 24 percent rent subsidy. New firms qualify for none of these programs. The promised SIBA loan program has uh, the expansion has not happened yet. So there's a lot of work left to do, but I will say the government has been listening, trying to shore up some of the gaps as we've been identifying them at CFIB. Um, and and I, I, I do credit Christia Freeland and Mary Ng for, for listening and working on some, but there's a ton of work left to do, and it is agonizing to try to get these changes across the finish line. Yeah, and I guess the question becomes, uh, you know, uh, how long uh, do some of your members, how long do businesses in this country, given what they're facing, uh, hang on? What can you tell us about the latest numbers about who's making and who's not? Yeah, look, our, our earlier estimates that we did, uh, we provided a range of between 55,000 and 225,000 permanent business closures. The 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 mean number for us, uh, at the, our most expected number was 160,000 business casualties. That was before the uh, the second wave. That was before the new shutdowns and lockdowns of, of businesses across the country, Manitoba, Ontario, and mm -hmm. elsewhere. Um, we are updating that data right now. But my best guess right now is that we're going to see one in seven small firms fail directly due to COVID-19. That's a massive toll on the country's economy. Uh, and behind every one of those business failures is a story, a family, a group of employees who are suffering. Sure we enough. didn't have to let it get to this yeah. stage. There still are tons of businesses slipping through the cracks. we got to fix it. All right, Dan Kelly, always good to talk to you. And uh, thanks for this update. And we'll talk again. Anytime. I'm pleased to announce today that on November 30th, we will be presenting the 2020 Fall Economic Statement. Our plan will continue to support Canadians through the pandemic and ensure that the post-COVID economy is robust, inclusive and sustainable. Well, time now for our Monday conversation with three colleagues in the Parliamentary Press Gallery. Susan Delacorte is a columnist with the Toronto Star. Uh, Joël Denis Bellavance, the Parliamentary Bureau Chief for La Presse, and John Iveson is a columnist for the National Post and uh, Parliamentary Bureau Chief for Post Media. Good to see you all again. Thanks for being here, Susan. So, look, we now have a date for the long-awaited economic update. Next Monday it is. What do you expect we will hear from Christia Freeland then? I don't expect a lot of details. Um, I, I'm not sure, again, that they're in any position to predict the future. And we've seen, you know, how much predictions have held through all of this as well. I would just think everything's going to be costing a lot more money. They're going to say that things are sustainable. Um, uh, the one thing that I am intrigued about uh, is that the, the, the introduction by the Prime Minister in conversations recently that our resources are not limitless. Mm -hmm. And I want to see if there's any, where these limits are. Because uh, it's been spend, spend, spend all the way since March. And then there's that little hint of, 
you know, this, there are limits to this. Right. And, and I, I would love to know what those limits are. All right, Joel Denis, we all know that the pandemic has shredded public finances in this country. So beyond bottom line figures and perhaps predictions, what, uh, what does this economic update have to do to give Canadians confidence in the future? Well, what I'm hearing is that uh, they may uh, announce some spending, but, you know, limited spending on climate change initiatives because the fifth anniversary of the climate change uh, Paris Accord is coming up. And they would like to signal uh, to the Biden administration that Canada will be on board whenever the, that new administration takes over power and uh, reintegrate uh, the Paris Agreement. So they want to be there and they want to celebrate when uh, this um, Paris Accord is being uh, marked on the fifth anniversary. So that's what I'm hearing, but it's not going to be specifically called Paris, uh, climate change investment. It will have some kind of more uh, limited name, but that's what I'm hearing. But Bottom line is that I think the uh, Kenyan government, the Kenyan people want to know whether the finances are in good shape. And I think the uh, finance minister will have to say a little bit more about that as to how viable are the nation finance coming into this uh, second wave of uh, COVID-19. John, what will you be watching for? Well, another anniversary is it's St Andrew's night, and I don't think there's going to be a lot in there for miserly Scots. Because I think that, that you know, I think all, all governments are now getting worried that they're going to get the blame. Uh, from a fatigued, COVID-fatigued population. Um, you know, we have spent, and I think we've overspent, you know, the, when the, obviously when the government was making policy on the fly, uh, they were not going to get everything right, but, but it looks like we spent way too much uh, as far as, you know, there was $23 billion in lost income and we spent $56 billion, according to the OECD, you know, giving us now the, the, the highest uh, indebtedness in the G20 for this year. Hmm. So... I don't think there's going to be any major changes to that. I think we're going to see more of it because now governments right across the country are starting to get worried that they're getting the blame for this prolonged period of people being stuck in their homes, maybe without work. Uh, it's, it's not good, so I suspect there will be more spend, spend, spend. And even though that Christy Fielding says we have a compass, we know where the safe harbour lies, that's not what business groups are saying. They're saying this economy yeah. right now is the most fragile since the 1930s. Susan, let, let me turn to you here. We, you know, do, you, do you think this, uh, uh, this is the opening of the great economic reset that uh, conservative finance critic Pierre Poilievre has been uh, talking about and others have suggested is at hand, this uh, upending of the world order as we know it, using the pandemic as a springboard? I mean, it's maybe hard to tie that specifically to the economic update, but the prime minister and his ministers have talked a lot about the opportunity to change the way we deal with people in our society because of the pandemic. It's taught us some lessons. Are we going to see some of that? Yes, definitely. Um, I, I've been amused by this um, this whole business of the Great Reset, and I, I saw them using it today even in, um, in question period when... Uh, when we saw Pierre Polyev being accused of, of reading the internet too much. I don't want to date myself, but um, um, there's that old uh, commercial, it was mad you're soaking in it, uh, in, implying that we're already there. We are, uh, never mind the conspiracies, we are already in a great reset. And it's coming from the right and the left. The right is saying that after this pandemic, it will be, you know, we saw it with Doug Ford last week, we're going to be by Ontario. We're going to be Canada first. There, there's a lot of things being reset in our mm. society. And I, I was intrigued when the Prime Minister was asked about it last week. And he more or less said, yeah, 
um, I, I do want to fix things. And there's a lot that needs fixed after this pandemic or during this pandemic, long-term care. So um, I, 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 it's been amusing to me to see the way the government has just kind of decided to take it on. Okay, yeah, maybe we are in a reset. You John, know, uh, yeah. John, John, what do you think? Well, I think Pierre Poiliev knows exactly what he's doing with that, that kind of language, that coded dog whistle language. Um, you know, this was a, a, a conspiracy theory. I remember Christopher Hitchens used to describe conspiracy, conspiracy theories as the exhaust fumes of democracy. And this, this thing is uh, coming out of, out of the Internet. This, the Illuminati and the Freemasons and George Soros and now Justin Trudeau are going to remake society and take people's property away from them. And... Poiliev knows exactly what he's doing. He's trying to appeal to those people. And, you know, it seems to me that Erno Tool's strategy of trying to grow the people, the base of the people who vote Conservative is fair enough when he's going after union members. But do you really want to be going after the lunatic fringe too? And that seems to be exactly what, uh, exactly what Poiliev's trying to do here. Uh, 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 Joël Denis, what do you think? Well, if you want to have a look at what kind of the great reset would look like, just go back to the throne the speech from the throne that the government presented in uh, September. Everything is in there. Um, and we all know that in every crisis that presents some opportunity to do better. The government wants to do uh, something better, improve this social safety net, for example. It has meant, as um, Susan mentioned, improve also uh, the way treatments are uh, offered in the long-term long care uh, um, uh, residents, uh, because the government wants to introduce, for example, national norms. So the Great Reset has started. I mean, if you want to have it, conspiracy theories, and it started with the speech from the throne that was tabled in the House of Commons, in, in, read in the Senate by Governor General on September 23rd. Yeah. Okay, uh, Susan, let me, let me move back to this country and the, and the COVID-19 response, and, and I guess what, what's happening in Alberta? Jason Kenney hasn't addressed his province now in, uh, what is it, uh, 10 days or uh, close, I guess 10 days. Uh, even though Alberta is reporting these record high cases, uh, we're expecting to hear new measures from the Premier, we think, on Tuesday. His absence from the field has led to all kinds of speculation that, you know, he wants the federal government to order more restrictions so he doesn't have to take the blame. We all spent time covering Jason Kenney's career in federal politics here in Ottawa. What do you think of uh, how he's handling this COVID crisis now? Well, I'm thinking of circulating a theory that he's hiding in a basement planning the Great Reset. But uh, <laughs> but I think what uh, is more likely, he's in isolation. He's come into contact again with um, with someone. It is unusual. He hasn't been virtual as he was the first time. Um, I was going through some polling numbers last week. Uh, the decline in his popularity through this pandemic has been remarkable. And... Uh, I, you saw it being raised in the House today, too, what is going on in Alberta. Mm -hmm. there, there's, it's certainly a crisis there. I think he is, again, to borrow on things, he is involved in his own reset. I think we're going to see stricter measures coming down in Alberta. Don't know whether they'll sign on to the federal government um, uh, app, but I, I do think that Alberta's strategy through all of this has been judged, and Jason Kenney is... is uh, rethinking it all. He's a smart guy, uh, a, a very a good politician, and I, I do think that this is just him uh, recalibrating, uh, to use an old Harper government phrase. What do you, what do you think's happening here, John? And is it, uh, you know, is, is it, is it a, a, could this have a lasting effect for Jason Kenney after he sort of blew into Alberta and took politics by storm, and now a lot of people wondering about his leadership out there? 
Well, you know, as I was saying earlier, I think that the, the tide has turned a little bit and that, you know, we saw all those incumbent governments uh, getting re-elected in, in British Columbia and New Brunswick. Um, I think, though, that that this second wave is now hitting governments and none more so than Jason Kenney. I mean, obviously, Kenney tried not to impose new restrictions in keeping with his, his philosophy and the philosophy of a lot of people in Alberta. But Alberta has got more cases today than Ontario and Quebec, which is unbelievable when you think of their relative population sizes. Yep. So, you know, clearly they have to come out and do something, much against his better judgment, I suspect. Okay. But I do think this is going to stick to him. All right. I just have about 20 seconds for you, Israel, to need to finish up here. What's happening in Alberta? Well, there was already a very deep economic crisis, and add to that this pandemic crisis. So the premier does know how to uh, does not uh, does not know how to deal with both now, because it's really really hurting the economy of Alberta more than any other provinces. And so, if he does impose more restrictions, it will okay. hurt more the economy. All right. Uh, remember, okay, the Great Reset. Uh, meet you here again next Monday. Okay. <laughs> thanks. Thanks all, and we'll talk again soon. Take care. Take care. <laughs> That's all the time we have for another edition of Primetime Politics from all of us here at CPAC. Thanks again for watching. Until next time.